0: But Chris, uh, you know, you mentioned in the, that the executive order laid out a whole bunch of root causes, right? So, what were the, you know, what do you, mentioned, and you mentioned uh, log log storage uh, and some other things. So, what, what are the ones that are, are proving the most difficult to, to tackle?
1: Oh, it's a really good question. Um, there's a few for different reasons, you know. Um, One just takes time, like uh, contracts, okay? You know, if something isn't in a contract clause, particularly in a system like we have in the US, this is a full collaboration with vendor partners. And if you haven't put it into a contract that you expect certain things, it hasn't been priced into the contract, and also it's hard to enforce, right? Um, And so what we've tried to do is take uh, an assessment of all of the best contract clauses and the gap areas, and we worked hard on all that, and we sent it to our Federal Acquisition Rules Council, and now they need to do public comment period and go through a process, right, to, to sort of get those mm-hmm. um, concurred to and like out to the public and then to like a state where we can build them in. It
0: just takes time. Yeah. right, so just let me ask a little bit more that's a great example because in security of course it's always hard to measure success right because it's the absence of something bad that happens and so did you invest enough nothing bad happened you know so did you invest too much right so on these contract clauses, what kinds of things uh, how do you how do you measure uh, a contractor who's providing a, a, a service or, or a facility or a system uh, what are some of the tricks you've learned having reviewed, you know, many, many attempts at trying to do this, right? It's presumably it's not like, you know, just like how many pages of cyber reports they prepared.
1: No, I mean, there's things that are, you know, kind of real barriers. Like at times, even with a vendor partner who wants to share information with government, sometimes there may be uh, either a lack of a provision or provision preventing, right? And so kind of working through that in a way that works for everybody is, Mm -hmm. is, is one key piece of it. Um, you know, also other things that we're, we're trying to work through that are uh, a, a big challenge as a secure software development. And we have another big initiative around that, which is, mm-hmm. you know, ensuring that if federal government's going to procure software, that is those vendors are following secure development practices. But that's going to be a road. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. we've already stated that that is our expectation as federal government. And then now we're going to be putting out official guidance and kind of like how to move through that and like build into the contracts, right? Because all that's going to happen, things like software bill of materials, a concept of an ingredients list for a piece of software. So that you can actually understand when you have a log4j type vulnerability event, you know, where, where in the software and is it present? I mean, things that people struggle with again and again. But again, these are hard root cause issues. You know, maybe weren't fully thought through when we built this ecosystem and now we're going backwards trying to piece through um, you know, all that and, 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 and kind of rebuild the system in a way now that the risks are so much higher.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, some of these things that don't necessarily present themselves as like shiny uh, things to work on are the things, right? Because they just, I say root cause because it's just again and again and again
0: It's these same things that just need to be settled and worked through. Yeah, it's a long, long slog. Right. Uh, So how does this uh, root cause analysis and correction, how does that fit in with uh, the shields up, uh, prepare, don't panic? How do those two things work together, you know?
2: Um, I think a lot of you know the things we're seeing um, and the alerts and advisories we're publishing on Shields up, right mm-hmm. So we are trying to provide mitigation to hey, this is the way you can help secure your systems, your networks. These are services that we can provide. These are just basic minimum measures that you can take to help uh, you know mitigate these uh, causes and help reduce the risk overall.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, the thing I was thinking about, we were talking about a little bit earlier, is uh, capacity, right? So uh, it's partly just the capacity uh, uh, priorities. Like you were saying, Alina, some people have, there are other problems uh, that people are working on. And there's also shortage, global shortage of skilled cyber professionals. And so smaller, smaller countries and smaller companies have, um, have more difficulty uh, putting their shields up and keeping them up. Uh, uh, not only in the technical area, but in uh, the policy area. I guess uh, my question, and this is sort of a uh, you know one, something I wonder about, right um, to what extent does the migration to the cloud where cloud service providers are providing a lot of the security? you know if you're having if you're using the G drive or something like that, or Amazon Web Services uh, or you know Azure, Microsoft, Azure, uh, those services provide a lot of security. So has that, in general, uh, making a difference for uh, for the level of security that that uh, companies and and uh, other organizations have, uh, government and agencies even are using these. Is that is that is there a wholesale benefit in some ways to uh, to uh, using the cloud?
1: Yeah, um, I'll have to take this one first. Um, yes, is our estimation. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I mean, you have to provision your cloud securely and a lot of that's about good configuration management and also just understanding your responsibilities, what mm-hmm. controls you are responsible for and what the cloud provider does. I think in our early movements there, there's a lot of assumptions around, oh, well, they're doing X now. And it's like, well, they're they're managing a lot of the risk, you know, it's very helpful for vulnerability management and like keeping systems up to date. And I think that's the thing, Bruce, is you know, we don't we don't we need to specialize in in sort of discrete security capabilities now in in, in security operation center capabilities and detection and, and and getting really kind of targeted in that and i think the more that you can hand off to a trusted partner that's going to be able to do that stuff faster more efficiently and have all the expertise in-house on their infrastructure mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to replicate that everywhere it doesn't make sense you know and i think that is the reason you see, that while we acknowledge fully that there are new risks to moving to the cloud, the benefits just outweigh it.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Betsy, you mentioned that you, know, you run the national cert uh, at CISA. So uh, at least in the old days, there was a lot of critical infrastructure partners who were on the floor, on the operations floor with their uh, being able to be kind of hand in hand with the feds. Uh, to, ta- to protect their own infrastructures, particularly in some of the mo- most critical infrastructures, uh, how's that going? And, and how do they? Uh, how do the cloud service providers fit into that architecture?
2: Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, back in the day, those what the watch tours. Yes. Uh, so the U.S. CERT, uh, is, sits under within CISA. But Bruce, to your point, the public-private partnership model, it's mm-hmm. definitely, that's one of the things I would just note that we are working to transform, right? Back in the day, it used to be one meeting here and one meeting there. But, um, you know, one of the things we've done over this past year is we established the Joint Cyber Defense initiative, uh, collaborative. And the whole goal of that is to make our collaboration with the private sector real time. You know? So it's not just one meeting to another, but it's sharing information right then in real time. And that's definitely getting to Chris's point. How do you reduce the risk? When you see a risk, how do we mitigate it together? And that is the type of approach that uh, we are definitely trying to transform.
0: So it's, it is true, then, that uh, there, there is a move from information sharing to operational collaboration, Yes, yeah, so, that yeah, seems yeah. to me that's really exciting. Really? Well, uh, speaking of these uh, cloud service providers, Elena, you know who are generally U.S. companies, right? So I mentioned earlier the the issues around U.S. platforms in this in the information space uh, and social media space, uh, but you also have dependencies on U.S. companies uh, for basic infrastructure services. Um, so uh, how how does that play out? What issues do you do you hear about and Think, and perhaps think about in that in that context for for smaller countries, is there a feeling of uh, excessive uh, dependency or uh, resentment or anything like that?
3: So there's a lot of exuberance in Southeast Asia about all things tech, right? Yeah. And the more acronyms you throw related to tech, AI, IoT, 4IR, like the more excited people get. But I feel there's not enough deep consideration about the implications, the longer term implications of these new technologies that are being embraced so readily by so many countries in Southeast Asia. For example, with um, artificial intelligence, Uh, a lot of the models and and technologies are being imported and um, provided for by countries outside of these Southeast Asian nations there isn't enough discussion in the public space, I, I would be willing to bet not even in the policy space, about how the algorithms are being trained or what data sets are being used, how data is being collected, how private and secure is this data, You know, um, are these data sets being fed to companies abroad and how are these companies monetizing or using these data sets? Um, do the costs and benefits outweigh each other in different instances for these particular countries that are so reliant and dependent on outside
0: technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: There are countries like Vietnam that are trying to set up their own indigenous uh, capabilities and capacities. They have, really, if you look into some of the examples that they have, really um, fascinating developments and innovations that are kind of modeled on Western technologies, but are uh, repurposed and refitted for local context to suit the needs and demands of the local culture, languages, etc. etc.
0: Right, you were uh, telling me earlier about this uh, the uh, Vietnamese version of uh, Siri or Alexa. That's
3: right, it, it's called Kiki. Kiki. And um, it's a local innovation because Kiki understands the different regional dialects in Vietnam, there are three main regional dialects in a way that Amazon, Alexa, or uh, Apple Siri, or Google Assistant can't. And you know, for someone who, like me, who doesn't have an American accent or any other Western accent, it's incredibly frustrating to call out to Alexa or Siri and then to ask for something and not be understood at all. And so Kiki was meant to fill this gap in the Vietnamese marketplace.
0: Wow, that's exciting. That's really exciting. Well, uh, let me turn it over to you. We, we, I can come up with questions, and you know, uh, for our panelists. But what, what is on your mind? What What interesting thoughts have you had uh, that uh, you might want to? Uh, okay, Dr- Druba, I might want to stimulate us with here. Exactly. Uh, thank you. I guess I have a question for uh, for Chris and Betsy. Um, I focus
1: more on the domestic. Uh, side uh, you mentioned in some ways working with the private sector which is one partner what are frustrations or, or concerns that you have about uh, public um, uh, public knowledge public understanding about cybersecurity issues w- you know it, it, are, are there gaps in people's in the general public's awareness about what some of the challenges are and what they can do, be doing themselves to ensure sort of Uh, greater security of their own personal information and and so forth. Is is that something that your agencies are uh, uh, focused on and and how are they going about trying to address that?
2: I'll start and then, awesome. Well, my favorite month of the year is October because it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Um, So this is one of our big campaigns here um, that we focus on because to your point, we are... Very much, how do you get that information out to the public? How do you build that cybersecurity awareness from at all ages, at all levels? Um, we are very much uh, focused on that, figuring out how do, we, how do we engage the public on this? So definitely during the month of uh, October, not just here in the U.S., but one of my favorite things is also just seeing around the world how October is celebrated. Um, and to your point, uh, it's so interesting to see how every country comes up with their own campaign and the language they use and the commercials um but to uh but it's it's a fantastic collaboration across the globe
0: yeah
1: um I'll, i think i'll draw on a couple of prior experiences i've had the less kind of focus on my current job uh the two would be as being chief security officer for state right and i had some responsibilities facing out and one of the things we're trying to do is just like make it real to people how you do that so we came up with some you know innovative programs where we Purchased uh, uh, Michigan Secure is what we labeled it. And it was really just like an uh, app, you know, application on a, that you download on your phone that secures your phone, alerts you to bad Wi-Fi connections like lack of encrypted networks, downloading a, a, a malicious application on an Android phone, for example, like also on Apple's. Like, stuff like that. I mean, it's like A, yes, you're like, protecting the phone, but also you're just saying, like, oh, my phone's not secure? What do you mean? Like, it's not been telling me that. Well, yeah, that's part of the problem. It's not been telling you that. It's like, it's like an aha moment. That's like, that's a a big issue. Move on from that campaign. I was the chief information security officer on the Biden campaign. Well, you know, one of the things you're trying to do there is just like walk down everybody because you know, you don't have the federal resources, but you got interested people (laughs) globally. Like and your biggest gaps, aren't the network that you own, run, operate and can secure. It's like all the people's personal stuff. That was the, the tax surface. and we had this whole program where people would come in we'd go through for spend hours with each individual and just run through locking down their personal life accounts just we had a list of like 40 things that they could do and we had people dedicated to spending time with them and like turning on t- multi-factor in all of their personal accounts and just i mean you'd be shocked at like how little coverages and those things. And also like helping them through privacy settings. We have people who are targeted in the campaign for their involvement in certain times and they got attacked. We, you know, we help them with like privacy settings and all the things that they can do to like kind of ensure that their personal information is like not everywhere. You know, there's and it's it's stuff like that that I just think I, don't know, I think it's a real challenge. You know, more and more, you know, online harassment is becoming a real big deal everywhere. It's just gonna continue to be an issue. And I think people need to understand that, like, listen, like, yes, the federal government's working for you. Yes, the responsibility of government's here. It's also a personal accountable responsibility, like driving a car and having make sure your brakes work and you're wearing a seatbelt. I mean, you, we all acknowledge those are personal responsibilities. And I just think that, like, we haven't gotten to that sweet spot of like acknowledging what are our personal responsibilities and what are corporate or what are government. It's still like a bit of a poorly understood state of affairs. And I think that continues to be a challenge.
0: Well, that's that's uh, there's two you know big targets that your uh, that your answer gave. One is, of course, uh, what's going to happen with uh, the Musk's uh, acquisition of Twitter. So we've probably not tried to analyze that here, but we're all sitting going, what's now going to happen with online uh, harassment and things like that. But the other thing uh, that came to me on that was just when you were saying that the um, you know uh, like the uh, the ability to um, have these uh, privacy settings and whatnot—you know—it's—it's it's like very labor-intensive. You—you you had a very labor-intensive activity, right. and you say, "Well, okay, it's your, your personal responsibility to to wear seat belts and uh, have good brakes." It's actually also the law; it's required uh, right at the national level or at the state level, and we're obviously not there yet uh, because uh, of the view uh, that's prevailed so far, anyway, which is in general that uh, regulation will hurt innovation. And uh, at some point, right, we, we all think you may not want to say this publicly as government officials, but I think that uh, we're going to come to that place where it'll be like any other technology and there will be mandated controls on so that, uh, for example, uh, software ships with the security turned on. And that's a requirement. So we're, we're getting there th- through the market, but it sometimes isn't good enough. Who else has a question? All right. In the, uh, in the back and then you.
4: Uh, Betsy, I wanted to get the sense from you about the collaboration with India. Uh, could you give us a flavor of what these conversations and what this partnership entails? Is it information sharing? Many things in your field, the successes are invisible, right? So what's the, uh, and, and based on that, uh, intel, information sharing, what is the, what are the nature of threats that you have identified that, uh, that are common to both, but that India also faces? And I had a, f- uh, I had a, s- a subsequent question for Eileen. Uh, you spoke about, uh, you spoke about how, you know, you, Southeast Southeast Asia is willing to work with U.S., but also willing to work with U.S.'s adversaries and and G77 and the NAM model. How do you think about the politics of cyber threats? And in terms of threats posed by states, uh, you know, how how do you see uh, Southeast Asian countries navigating that? Which countries do they identify as potential threats to to their own cyber security?
0: So what I want to do is ask you to ask your question, too, and then we'll, we'll answer them all. Those are great questions. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I think that was a good idea because my question kind of is related. So um, I'm Hossan. I'm from the Center for Security and Emerging Technology. Um, thank you for that insightful uh, discussion. So uh, one question that I wanted to ask was about challenges to operational collaboration. And I guess, Betsy, perhaps um, this is something that you touched upon. So um, so. When I say that, I, uh, this is not only operational collaboration among amongst allies and partner countries, but also like within the U.S. So one of the one of the challenges that we often come across is, of course, interoperability and sharing of inf- inf- uh, sensitive information and data. So how do you kind of mitigate that and in, um, in in your in your day to day work and like
2: uh, any best practices? Um, or
0: yeah. Great. Okay. Um. You got two questions, so fire away. Starting with India, great.
2: Yeah, so um, our collaboration is cert to cert. So we are sharing information, our advisories. um, You know, we share with them, and they share with us. We've also uh, working with the Critical Infrastructure Agency there. We've been doing expert to expert exchanges. Um, Our efforts just it's very much on mutual topics of interest right during covid we were doing a lot of conversations of what they were seeing with uh what their companies our companies how are we handling supply chain um so those are the type any the topics of mutual interest are the topics we share um and then to your uh to address your question on challenges especially on the information sharing one of the challenges we see is that a lot of a countries sometimes are hesitant to share with us because their alerts are in 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 the language of the country, so it's hard to share, it, especially if we can't get it translated. That's one of the concerns and challenges that we are navigating through, um, and now we're we're working that th- through that.
0: Uh, just to amplify on the gentleman's first question uh, about the collaboration, has there been have there been any uh, examples that you can talk about where you've really worked with the uh, Surge India to solve a specific? Uh, campaign or deal with a specific campaign?
2: It's not more of campaign. it's more of like a mutual issue, like sharing our best practices or or, or if we're having going through an issue together like COVID, mm-hmm. it's understanding what they're seeing and what we're seeing, mm-hmm. identifying our right. And, uh,
0: and in terms yeah. of supply chain you mm-hmm. mentioned specifically. Okay, great. Thank you. Elena, you want to talk about cyber geopolitics?
3: Yeah, that easy question. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, anybody familiar with Southeast Asia or ASEAN will know that we, you know, the three monkeys. I'm not in government, so I can be a bit more blunt. So, you know, (laughs) close your eyes, close your ears, and close your mouth. That's kind of how a lot of Southeast Asian governments have been treating some of the cyber threats. Uh, There are open source studies and reports out there about uh, the threats emanating virtually in the cyber domain from the south china sea dispute and Mm. these threats have already been out there and um, deliberated upon in a technical manner for years about 10 years at the very least Uh, there is awareness of it but there's not much public discussion of it and part of that is deliberate because there's an aversion to discussing political security conflicts within Southeast Asia, much more when it in involves a major power sitting right uh, in your backyard. Um, but there are also threats that are emanating from immediate neighbors. And this is also known, but it's not discussed again. And this kind of underpins almost in a way the rationale of ASEAN, right? You acknowledge that there are these historical and current tensions going on even in the cyber domain. You try to work it out in a very circuitous ways uh, in different formats and in multilateral settings. So it's basically kicking the can down the road um, and hoping that things will resolve on their own through a lot of dialogue and discussion and negotiation if it comes down to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and of course, I'm sure uh, that uh, there is there are examples of uh, countries where they are because of lax controls or lack of capacity, they become hosts for you know they become, become uh, sort of way stations for third country. Right. Uh, attacks and then you know those kind of conversations about why are your services attacking us? Well, it's not, it not wasn't it was those other guys. Right. So yeah, difficult conversation. And, and you
3: almost never hear a Southeast Asian country join in attributing an operation or an attack to any particular country.
0: Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything? Any other questions from from you guys out there? All right. Um, so. Uh, let me let me again. I, I'm always trying to get from go from the general to the specific, right? So, uh, you know, if looking ahead, uh, what do you guys uh, all think? You know, give us your views on uh, where this is going. I mean, let's think we're having this conversation five years from now. Um, you know, many times you can say well, there's nothing. You know, we're having the same conversation. In some ways, we've been having a different conversation. It's it's been much more about colla- operational collaboration rather than just information sharing and uh, the level of kind of technical sophistication is better, but so in your, in your either crystal ball or your desired world, uh, what does it look like uh, five years from now? Chris, you want to start? Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> don't have a crystal ball, but, um, I, you know, there's different potential futures. I think the one that we're most concerned about is one that kind of Stays in the path that we've seen in the last year, and then sort of like goes continues in that direction. Like, what do I mean by that? Uh, You 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 look at um, events like uh, the Colonial Pipeline event, Mm -hmm. right? That wasn't even necessarily the criminal actor's stated intent to have the full pipeline network shut down. That was a corporate decision to manage the risk based on the information they had at the time. Okay, and it led to a massive disruption where it turned into like a real sort of physical disruption event of like resources um, that we all rely on. And it was in part just kind of a business decision and a miscalculation by a threat actor that led to that. Not even a direct like trying to do it. Well, when we get more into the direct trying to do it, this whole thing changes. And the cover your mouth, cover your ears, cover your eyes problem, when you're dealing with ransomware and destructive malware doesn't work. And unfortunately, the folks who've been taking that approach, it's going to be real sharp, like there's, they're not going to have enough time to react mm-hmm. if it goes in that direction five years from now. And, you know, the only responsible path we see is shine a bright light on all of these bad problems, and it's not going to be fun, and it's going to be hard, and people are going to feel very uncomfortable. But the alternative to us is not acceptable. All right, all right. So there's the drastic, yeah, so we should take the
0: friendlier <laughs> <laughs> future. Okay, <laughs> on this point, are you uh, jumping in on this? I'm not. Okay, well, let me get those little uh, vignettes and you'll get the last question, okay?
2: I'll take a friendlier. Uh, so uh, over the years, we've seen our partnerships going from information sharing to now we're in operational collaboration. And so if I, you know, crystal, not that I have crystal ball here, but if we could, uh, Evolve our partnerships over to joint action, right? As we are uh, shining that light on problems, if we can collectively come together and take joint action, mm-hmm. that will help reduce the risk
0: globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and we've seen that some on some cases where uh, you know there's been joint public-private yep. action to shut down uh, bad, you know, bad uh, you know botnets and things like that. So it's we're getting there. Yeah. Okay.
3: Also no crystal ball, but apparently we do have a metaverse. So if I were to peer into the metaverse, (laughs) Metaverse. (laughs) um, I I actually would hope for a greater uh, sense of awareness and agency by countries that are not behemoths in the tech space to try to carve their own futures. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what we have now is is operating within the current frameworks and parameters. And this is a a little bit philosophical rather than specific, but, I hope that, based on our traditions, histories, and cultures, we can begin to explore a different type of future or futures for countries caught in the middle of great power competition um, in the tech space.
0: Okay, righty. two minutes and the last question. I'll, I'll, uh, You'll pass. <laughs> yeah, so track. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, great. Well, uh, thank you very much. I think this has been uh, quite uh, a broad-ranging discussion. Uh, we've covered a lot of uh, a lot of territory. And you know we're reminded uh, that in the current geopolitical situation, uh, the uh, stakes are only increasing. And so, uh, shields up is the is the uh, is the watchword. Prepare, don't panic. Uh, and with that, uh, please join me in thanking our uh, panelists for a great conversation.
4: Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.